besides God. God is just so God. Now, there we go. So you see, I was like many of you, probably, I thought that the Father is the judge. You know, we talked about the Trinity and there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Uh, and, and we have three persons in one God. Yes, they're all God. Um, and, and, and we talked about that over the last couple of months. We still do want to do a workshop to kind of really unpack that for those that want to go a bit deeper in understanding the Trinity. But there's the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And while there isn't a hierarchy, so to speak, in the Trinity, it's not like the Father is the ultimate boss and, and the Holy Spirit is like the, the little servant. It's not like that at all. They are all equal in authority, all equal in power. However, when you hear the title Father, it lends to that, oh, you're the ultimate, you know, the, the judge. It's actually wrong. The Bible does not describe the Father as the judge of humanity. The judge of humanity is actually Jesus, the Son. And I'm going to show this to you in the next few Bible verses. We are going to do a lot of Bible today so that you understand that I'm not just making this up. This is what the Bible teaches us. We're going to be reading a big chunk of Scripture from John 5, 19 to 27. And this is what it says. Jesus gave them this answer. Very truly, I tell you, the Son cannot do anything by Himself. He can only do what He sees His Father doing because whatever the Father does, the Son also does. For the Father loves the Son and shows Him all He does. Yes, and he will show him even greater works than these so that you will be amazed. For just as the Father raises the dead and gives them life, even so the Son gives life to those to whom he is pleased to give it. For moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. That's John 5.22, pretty clear. Has entrusted all judgment to the Son, that all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. Whoever does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes Him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged but has crossed over from death to life. Very truly I tell you, a time is coming and has now come when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in Himself, so He has granted the Son also to have life in Himself and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Jesus, the son, is the judge. He has been entrusted with the judgment of humanity. And I want to just show you proof so that you know this is not just one passage. In Acts 10 verse 42, uh, it says this, Jesus, he commanded us to preach to the people and testify that he is the one whom God appointed as judge of the living and the dead. Pretty clear. Jesus is the judge. Acts 17 31, for he, God, has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man, Jesus, he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. How do we know this man that I put there in brackets, Jesus, that is my interpretation. But how do we know that is Jesus that has been appointed to, to be the judge because he has been raised from the dead? There are only two men that were raised from the dead in the Bible, Lazarus and Jesus. I don't think Lazarus is our judge. Nowhere else in the Bible says, and Lazarus will be judging. No, Jesus will be judging. Romans 2.16, this will take place on the day when God judges people's secrets through Jesus Christ, as my gospel declares. The early church knew that Jesus as judge was central to the gospel. Look at that. 
as my gospel declares, my gospel declares that Jesus Christ is the judge. Now, we've got a lot of evidence ready. I want to read one more from Matthew 5, 31 to 46. Not going to read the whole thing, but this is where Jesus tells the parable of, of um, judgment day and the separating from the sheep and the goats. The sheep go to everlasting life. The goats go to hell. Um, and that is the parable that Jesus uses to teach about judgment day. And it starts with this line. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne the throne of judgment. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. So there you go. Jesus is the judge of humanity. And you know, that was my big revelation. For those who were like, oh, you know, what, what's, your, what's the big thing? And some of you are still looking at me is like, well, okay. It still kind of is God is the judge of humanity. Why is it important that Jesus was specifically mentioned time and time again in the gospel as the judge of humanity? Well, I'm, this is actually the part that I thought was revolutionary for me. And this is because of what Jesus represents. You see, in John 5.27, we've read this already, um, Jesus explains why God gave him the right to judge, the authority to judge. John 5, 27, and he has given him authority to judge because he is the son of man. Because he is the son of man. And the son of man is a title that we first see in the book of Daniel. It is um, uh, the way that Daniel spoke about the Savior and the Messiah to come. He said that will, he is called the son of man. That was just a title that he gave Jesus. But the, son, the title son of man is actually a really important title. Because for us, uh, when we look into who Jesus is, we need to understand two aspects of Jesus and we need to understand that the church has affirmed this doctrine since the beginning of the, 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 the church, since the, the time that the gospel went out. Um, Jesus is 100% God. Very important. Jesus is God. Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is God. But we also need to affirm something else and that is that Jesus is also 100% human. 100% man, as we call it. Both of those are extremely important uh, understandings of the person of Jesus. And when Jesus takes on the identity, uh, the role of the Son of Man, this is what it describes in Philippians 2, 6-8. Travel with me. I know that we're going through a little bit of stuff, but we will get to the point that I'm trying to make. Philippians 2, 6-8. This is about Jesus, who being in very nature, God. Very important word there, being in very nature God. Jesus' nature, his, his natural makeup is God. Jesus is God. This is what Philippians is trying to tell us. When we talk about um, the Trinity and all three persons being God, we say that there are three persons of the same substance, of the same nature, and that makes them all God. Uh, um, and, and it goes on to say, who being in a very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant and being made in human likeness. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself 
12 by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Now the line that says Jesus made himself nothing. There are other translations that says Jesus emptied of himself. He emptied of himself. And that is a very important concept for us to catch as Christians. Uh, I, I know you're kind of going to a deep dive with me. And, and this whole thing of Jesus loves you because the Bible tells you so. It's like, why can't we go back to the simple truths? This is why we know that that is a simple truth. So we're going to get there. But it says that Jesus emptied of himself, made himself nothing. What we need to understand with that is that Jesus was emptying himself of his deity, of whatever made him immortal, made him God. He put that aside. He put that aside so that he could be human. Okay, and that is a very important concept. Jesus being the Son of Man is a title to help us to see that God did not just simply come as God, He came as 100% man. And that is important to us because of what it means. When Jesus came on earth as 100% man, lived the life of uh, a sinless man, that made Him the perfect substitute for our sins. That is why this is so important. If Jesus was in some way, shape or form superhuman so that he could reject and push away sin more easily than we can, if he had some kind of uh, supernatural power to reject sin more than we can, that makes him ineligible to be the substitute for our sin. The Old Testament had animal sacrifice as a substitute, but even so, those animals needed to be without blemish. That's what the Bible teaches us. Those, those uh, lambs and, and cows needed to be as best as possible, uh, perfect, so that they can be the substitute for sins in the Old Testament. However, the Bible teaches us that those animal sacrifices only lasted for one year. You go on a day of atonement, you sacrifice one big cow, and that only covers you for one year. The perfect, perfect substitutionary sacrifice needed to be the perfect man. A man without blemish, a man without sin. When Jesus emptied of himself and took on the form of a man, he became literally like us. He could sin. He could have chosen to sin. He could have gone down that route. But Jesus put aside all sin, all temptation, in order that He could be the perfect substitute for us. And this is where this is extremely important. When you relate this Jesus to Jesus as judge, we don't see a judge who is completely separate and apart from us. We don't have a judge who does not understand the complexities of our life. Rather, we have a judge who intimately understands our humanity. The Bible goes so far as to describe it this way in Hebrews 4, 15 to 16. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we are one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in time of need. I want you to think about this. We have a judge 
who empathizes with us. Now, sometimes we throw around that word a little bit and we might not understand. The word empathize is to so deeply understand what the other person is going through that the person feels it themselves. As a person who has uh, studied counseling, empathy is actually a really powerful thing and is also a very hard thing because every person has a very different life, different lifestyle, different experiences, different background to truly be able to feel and to go through what someone else is going through. It needs this extremely deep connection. And the Bible teaches us that Jesus empathizes. We do not have a judge who does not understand us, but we have a judge who most intimately understands us, probably understands us even more than any other human being. The Bible goes through pains to ensure that we understand that the judge of humanity is not one who is aloof and detached from humanity, but one who intimately understands us. And that is such an important concept for us to understand when it comes to judgment. Because we have a judge who understands us. Uh, yes, Jesus did not sin. And, and so I guess there could be this argument being put forward that maybe Jesus comes and he was without sin. And so maybe he actually can judge us more harshly because he actually went through having to live without sin. And so maybe Jesus will throw this in my face when I finally go to judgment day. Well, I was without sin, so why didn't you go without sin? That could be that, couldn't it? If Jesus could do it in his human form, then maybe he's going to throw that back at me. And that was something that I considered, except that that's not what Jesus says. In John 12, 47 to 50, this is what Jesus says. If anyone hears my words but does not keep them, I do not judge that person, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. There is a judge for the one who rejects me and does not accept my words. The very words I have spoken will condemn them at the last day. For I did not speak on my own, but my Father who sent me commanded me to say all that I have spoken. I know that his commands lead to eternal life. life so whatever I say is just what the Father told me to say. I want you to consider this scene. Imagine this with me. You are about to face judgment on judgment day perhaps view it like a Hollywood court scene. Or maybe if you're more familiar with the Australian system, the Australian court scene. And, and, and you enter into uh, the, 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 the courtroom and um, you stand apart from the judge. The judge is standing up there. And you, you stand there and, and, and you prepare your arguments. You prepare your arguments as to why you should be shown mercy. You know that you need to convince that judge to see your side. If not, you are done for. And in that viewpoint, the judge and you are in opposition to one another. The judge is not necessarily on your side. The judge is not necessarily against you. They're impartial. But... In this scene, if you're not able to demonstrate why you deserve grace or mercy, if you cannot get the judge to empathize with you, you are in trouble. 
And this judgment is about hell. So it's a pretty severe judgment. And when we view Jesus or God as judge in that kind of a way, we immediately think that we are going to need to prove ourselves. But when we understand that the court scene is not like that at all, in fact, the court scene is this, that when we enter into the courtroom of Jesus Christ, he immediately doesn't even listen to your arguments and he says, would you like life? I've already purchased life for you. I've already purchased life for you. No, no, do you understand what will be going on inside of you? You've got your, you've got your documents ready and you said, Your Honor, yet before you go any further, would you like life? I've got it available for you. I was like, well, I just spent the last 30 years trying to compile all of this, but sure, I will take it. How amazing would it be when you know that you're going to a judge who already... Already his desire is to see salvation for you. How does that flip the script? How does that change everything? We have a judge who has already done what needs to be done in order that grace and mercy can be the judgment rather than death. We have a judge who already does that. It is a very unusual technique because normally the judge says, you need to prove yourself, but Jesus says, I've already done the proving. This is what it says in Romans 2 verse 4. Or do you show contempt for the riches of His kindness, forbearance and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. You see, God doesn't ask you to repent and then prove your repentance to Him. No, no, God shows His mercy and grace and then says, if you want this, I give it to you and now leave your life of sin. The repentance comes after the grace, not before the grace. Do you hear that? The repentance comes after the grace, not before the grace. The repentance comes because we realize that we have a judge that is for us and not against us. The repentance comes before because there is an enablement that God has decided to already give us to live the life that He wants us to live. It is not that we are trying to live up to His standards in order to receive grace because grace is undeserved merit. It is undeserved. You cannot earn grace. When you understand that eternal life is something that you cannot earn, then you, when you go into the courtroom of God, you're going, well, I don't have anything much to say except please have grace. And the answer, as the Bible has already shown us, is yes. And so the repentance comes after. Romans 8 verse 1 says this, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The words no condemnations is a legal term. Jesus is not condemning you. Jesus is not looking and weighing up your actions and your behaviors and going, you deserve grace, you don't deserve grace. No, 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 he knows no one deserves grace, but I'm going to give grace anyway if you are going to accept me as your Lord and your Savior. I read um, a scripture a little while ago this morning um, that says in Hebrews 4, 
Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. And, 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 and I was thinking about that. And I realized that the picture that I had of God is that He has multiple thrones. There's a throne of judgment and then there's a throne of grace. Don't we all kind of see it that way? That while we are living before the day of judgment, the, the, the judgment seat of Christ is kind of stored away in, in, in a different place that, you know, on the final day, he's going to pull it out, you're going to dust it off and say, oh, this is the white throne of judgment and, and it's saved for the day of... And, and, and while we're waiting for that day to see that throne, God's got another throne, is, a, is the grace throne. Is the throne that we get to approach with confidence. I started to think about that and I was like, God is into efficiency. Why does he need two thrones? Maybe I've got the wrong concept that God has a throne of grace and a throne of judgment. And we need to kind of be watching out which throne are you sitting on today, God? Judgment or grace? Do I have the confidence? Because the throne of grace is the one I get confidence with. But if it's a judgment, on all oh, fear trepidation scary God why do we see it that way because when we understand that the judge is Jesus and his whole purpose for his life is to give us life his life death and resurrection is the only hope we have for all of eternity and he has already said I am here to give you that and so when Jesus says you can enter and you can come to the throne of grace with confidence it is the same throne of judgment why this shifted my mindset about God is that I thought that God only shows grace for a limited season of time but what I learned is that God is showing grace all the time it is part of his character now Jesus also does say that if you don't believe in him that on the final day that there will be judgment and there will be hell we talked about the necessary existence of hell last week no the week before that is necessary but as Christians we don't approach the throne of grace with uh, the throne of judgment with fear rather we approach the throne of grace with great confidence because we know that there's no condemnation. So my question for you is this, are you even approaching the throne? Are you actually approaching the throne? Do you understand that Jesus sits on the throne already and he's in saying, come to me, come to me. Why do we approach the throne of grace? Is to find is to receive mercy, and there we go. Why is there mercy? Because it's also the throne of judgment. So we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. When was the last time you approached the throne? When was the last time you went to Jesus? If you find yourself only going to Jesus because you've, uh, you've made it, Oh, Jesus, you know, I did something right today. So good. Then you don't understand the throne of grace. Or if you go to the throne of grace and you're groveling and, and thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm the worst human being ever. You don't understand the throne of grace. If you just avoid the throne altogether, 
you don't understand the judge that sits on that throne. We need to understand that the son as the judge is an amazing concept. That the judge of humanity would know how depraved and how corrupt and how broken our world is and yet still say, I have already prepared grace to release. I, I came across this quote and it's such a beautiful quote. It's from uh, an eminent theologian called Stanley Grenz. Uh, his books are being used as um, textbooks all across uh, seminaries and Bible colleges and he says this, the one who calls us to account is the God whom we have come to know in Christ. The one before whom we will stand on the last day is none other than the one who has extended his saving love towards us. In fact, God has already judged our sins in Jesus' death. When we live in a way that is trying to prove ourselves to God, we rubbish the grace that God is wanting to show us. When we live in a way that is condemned and heavy and, 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 and thinking that we are never good enough for the grace of God, you are rubbishing the grace of God because God is saying, I've never asked you to prove yourself to me. When we approach the throne of grace with confidence saying, Jesus, you are my Lord and my Savior. You know every single moment of my life and yet you still love me and you still show grace to me. I need that grace today. I know that I'm not gonna live up to the standards completely. I am not going to be perfect, but God, I thank you for your grace and your mercy in times of need. And right now I know I have need. Right now I know I have need. When I came across this passage of coming with confidence to the throne of grace, it blew my mind because I grew up in a thinking and a mindset that God only approves of those who have proven themselves. But when I saw that God approves of me just because He does, when God has already given me love before I've asked, it changes things. And don't you know that kindness is meant to lead us to repentance? I once had a chat with another pastor and he said something that really stirred in me, especially from my upbringing and my understanding. He said, I don't really think that as leaders we need to get too deeply into pointing out people's wrongs as much as we should be in the business of pointing out how great God's grace is. And then he said, the more we see of Christ, the more we see of how broken we are, and the more we see of our need for him. He who has been forgiven much, loves much. If you don't love God, it's because you haven't let him forgive you yet. You haven't stood in front of that throne of grace and say, Jesus, I need that grace. And this is a simple message at the end of the day. But I sincerely hope that there's something in you that's going, I don't need to be scared. I don't need to be scared about this whole afterlife business. 
You know, for you as a Christian, if you understand what the Bible teaches, the day of judgment is a day of hope. It's a day of confidence. Do you hear that? If you view the day of judgment as this extremely scary day, you know, I, I know this because I've been there where I thought that the Hunger Games put the day of judgment perfectly. <laughs> it's like, oh no, I am tribute. I'm going to hell. How do I know whether I have made it? And the Hunger Games puts it in such a beautiful way where it's like your name gets put into these judgment buckets, if you will. The more times you've accessed grace, the more times you've accessed materials, resources, the more times your name goes into that thing. And then your name gets pulled out and you go into this pit of hell. Now that's not our God. The grace that we've received has no account. The mercy that we've received has no limit. God is not looking to judge you. God's looking to save you. And He has already proven that through what He's done on the cross. I hope that all of you have, when you walked in this morning, you got um, a communion. And this morning as we do this, we're going to do this quite reflectively and quietly. Because... I think sometimes we do end up rushing through this. We end up rushing through this because perhaps we don't really understand what it represents or what, what it is. But communion represents the grace that has already been poured out. So this morning I want you to imagine yourself before the throne of judgment. As you hold the communion in your hands, imagine yourself literally face to face with the throne of judgment. Can I ask you to just close your eyes as you've prepared yourself? How do you see this moment? How do you see this space? What are you feeling? Are you scared? Are you filled with fear? Perhaps you're kind of wondering, what is God going to say? Perhaps you're wondering about what this judgment is going to be. Perhaps your mind is wandering back to the last week and all the things that you could have done better. Perhaps you're wondering about all the things that you've done wrong. And you know that God knows all of it. He sees you're coming and you're going. He knows every single moment and this is the moment you're standing in front of the judge. As you're in this moment, I want to read out Romans 8, 31 to 39 for you. What then shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for all of us. How will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus, who died 
more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sort? As it is written, for your sake we face death. All day long we are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. If God is for us, then who can be against us? I want you to imagine that you are in this court scene. You, have, you know all that you've done. You know how far you've fallen off the mark. You have missed it. But yet you see the judge coming off his throne and he is running towards you and he's embracing you and he's saying nothing can separate you from my Love, there is no one to condemn you, child. There is no one to condemn you. There's no one that is expecting you to perform anymore. There is no one that is keeping score. There is no one else that brings a charge against you. There is now therefore no condemnation. I want you to hear him speak to you right now. Maybe he says, rise. Maybe he says, walk with me. You know, some of us are living our lives not in the way that God would ask us to, but in the way that we're trying to prove ourselves to him. But in this moment where there's no condemnation, where there's no judgment, when God speaks to you about life, he's just saying, this is what is available for you. Not to prove yourself, but his life, that I have made available for you. Holy Spirit, I pray you speak to us. I pray you show us the life that is available in you. I pray that you show us that all the burdens of expectations and all the burdens that we wear on ourselves, all the, all, all, all the worries and all the, the shame and all the guilt that weighs us down, I pray is removed in the name of Jesus. And right now you're bringing grace and releasing grace abundantly. You're calling people into life and life abundantly. You have already given them real and eternal life, more and better life. And so God, I pray that you speak to us in this moment. When you're ready, why don't you have the bread and the cup as your sign of saying, God, I want all that you have for me. I want the life that you have chosen for me, that you have given to me. If we can get the band up this morning. I hope that I've been able to present something that will shift your perspective of Jesus, of judgment. But I believe that there are some people that are still struggling with that notion of judgment. There are some people still struggling with the notion of expectation and standards.
that God demands from you. I don't know. That's a big shift here. The standards that God imposes, the boundaries that He's put in place is not to restrict you, is not to make you prove yourself. It is to help you live in the life that He has already made available for you. And so if those boundaries have caused you burden and worry and pain, is because you've not been seeing them as boundaries for life. And so this morning, I actually feel like we, I want to pray for people that have felt like your whole life, you've been living under the cloud of judgment. You've been living under the cloud of condemnation. You've been living under a space where you feel like you just never get things right and you just don't know how to prove yourself to God anymore. If that is you this morning, I would love to pray with you. We'll have our prayer team as well available for you. And if you're in a place as well where you've just forgotten how freely God gives His grace to you, I would love to also make this space available for you because I believe that God is pouring out grace this morning. We hope you've enjoyed this week's message. Follow us on Instagram at The Live Church or on Facebook at Live Church Perth. That will give you all the up-to-date information about what's happening in the life of our church. Thanks again for listening. God bless.